0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Eyes on Earth. We're a podcast that focuses on our ever-changing planet and on the people here at Arrows and across the globe who use remote sensing to monitor and study the health of Earth. I'm your host, John Holm. The National Land Cover Database, or NLCD, was the first and remains the most well-known set of satellite-based land cover mapping products released by Arrows. It sorts each 30-by-30-meter plot of land in the United States into a land cover class, such as cropland, pasture, high-intensity developed, deciduous forest, and the like. It also includes information on impervious urban surfaces, forest canopy cover, and more. NLCD is about to release its newest data. It maps conditions on the ground for calendar year 2019 and adds new layers that map features like the nation's wind energy. The land cover maps for NLCD 2019 can be compared with data from seven other years reaching back to 2001 to understand landscape change in the US. For more background on NLCD, be sure to check out episode three of Eyes on Earth. For today, let's talk about the new release with NLCD manager John DeWitts, a research physical geographer for Eros who has been involved with NLCD for around 20 years. That's a while, John. It's a while. It's a while. Welcome to Eyes on Earth, John. It's great to have
1: you. Well, thanks, John. It's great to be here.
0: Let's do a real quick refresher about what NLCD is. When did it start? What does it do? Who uses it and why?
1: It started with a consortium of folks that came together around early nineties. At that time, satellite imagery was still only available for purchase. It wasn't for free like it is now. Mapping was very expensive. So these federal partners came together to purchase this imagery as a group, and that led to the MRLC Consortium, the Multi-Resolution Land Characteristics Consortium.
0: Okay, so that's, that's how it starts. And then where did you go from there? What does the National Land Cover Database do? What's the mission?
1: The mission is to map the United States. That includes Alaska, Hawaii, and all the territories.
0: Okay, and who uses land cover data?
1: Believe it or not, everybody uses land cover data in some way or another. For us, the things that we map, it helps monitor the amount of developed area, which leads to surface runoff, which can lead to pollution. It helps monitor burned areas, forest fires, the amount of forest that's in an area that can be used for carbon sequestration, things like that. We have folks on both sides of the spectrum from ecologists who are interested in endangered species to say gas and oil groups who are interested in finding areas that least disrupt endangered species or other species.
0: So that's who's using it. That's the history. And the MRLC consortium goes back to, when did you say 1999?
1: It's going to be mid-90s. Okay, somewhere in
0: the mid-90s. So that comes together. You put out NLCD 1992 is the first one? It right. is. Okay, and then 2001 after Correct. that. Yep. yeah. And 2006? Yes. And 11? Yes. 16, and now 19. Right. So there's our, there's our quick refresher for what it is and what's available now. We're looking at NLCD 2019. But let's talk about 16 for just a second, because that was just a couple of years ago, and it was a big step for the program. Talk to us about how that laid the foundation for more frequent updates.
1: To talk about 2016, let me give you a bit of a history on 2001, which was our first release based on our newer definition types. Those newer definition types more closely match to what the satellite naturally captures. And in 2006, we did basically a change detection. Same for 2011. For 2016, we went and remapped all of this from 2001 to 2016. And we added mapping every two and a half years. This allowed us to do succession and trajectory, which really helps improve both the accuracy and the consistency of the land cover. Just
0: briefly, succession and trajectory you're talking about.
1: The natural state of vegetation. So let's say there's a forest fire in 2002, right? In 2001, we still had it mapped in forest. In 2003, you're gonna see that that forest disappeared. What can happen is if you don't follow natural succession, you can get things that don't make sense. So you might see that in 2004, we had it mapped as shrub and 2006 as grass. Well, that doesn't make sense. Hopefully we wouldn't do that, but it does happen once in a while. So with succession and trajectory, we can figure out, okay, if a forest disappears, the next natural state is a grassland, which will regrow to a shrubland, which will then regrow to forest.
0: Right, right. So so it made more sense over time. Success and in introductory allows you to sort of string things together in a more logical way and... I suppose improve each mapping product as you move along
1: it does and it also can fill in some of the gaps from the imagery there are many times in a year we'll only get one clear image of a leaf on area if we don't have that sometimes we have to say this is what the succession and trajectory is showing this is what it should be this year. And we can go to the following one and say, oh, it's following the right pattern, even if we don't have that in-between signal to get a map from it.
0: Sure, sure. So it helps you get to where you're going and, and have more confidence. Yes. But Succession and Trajectory, this comes in in NLCD 2016, you're able to do this? Yes. Okay. And that's because you go all the way back and you sort of make all of the maps make sense together. You sort of integrate them in a way that makes them more comparable.
1: Right. So, you know, it's it's like stacking blocks on top of each other. If you have seven blocks representing seven years, take the middle one out, the rest don't stand. And that's kind of what we were doing. We still did very accurate maps before 2016, but with Succession and Trajectory, we could stack that land cover and make sure that it's doing the correct things and increases our accuracy as well.
0: Okay. So 2016, it's a big step forward. And also in 2016, you some interesting new layers. You added an impervious surface descriptor layer, right? You have the impervious surface layer, which says the percentage of a pixel of a 30 by 30 meter plot that's covered with impervious surfaces. You have that. And within that, in 2016, you added a layer of descriptions. You made it even more complicated.
1: <laughs> or simpler, depending or, upon who you are.
0: Okay, okay. Well, to my mind, I think, well, there's more roads there. You have oil pads mapped in this descriptor layer. That's interesting that you call it simpler. Tell me, tell me how.
1: So if you look at a map developed in pervious surface, it's simply a range of values from zero to 100%. If you're looking, say, at an interstate going down in the prairie, all you see is that zero to 100%. You know, it might be 40% in some places, it might be 30%, but you don't know that it's a road. Your computer has no way to tell that it's a road, and roads really make a large difference in informing the difference between growth in an urban area and somebody just repaving a road.
0: It gives you more detail on what's actually there, what's actually sort of forming the rest of the map. Right. Okay. Well, let's get into the details on NLCD 2019. What's new and different? What did you do differently in making 2019? And what should users expect when they open the box?
1: For the user, it should be transparent that it's the same as the 2016 release. The one difference that they will see is there will be added years of impervious surface. For the 2016 release, we were only able to classify every five years because of time constraints. We've matched up our impervious surface products to our land cover products so that we have a corresponding land cover and impervious for every single year. Other than that, users should see exactly the same look and feel. There'll be a few more impervious descriptors layers, we've added things like wind turbines, but our goal is a consistent map and the same thing, the same experience for our users. Behind the scenes, we put a lot of work into streamlining how quickly we can do this. We went from a scene-based classification, which is Landsat Path and Row, to a composite where we take each single pixel and put it together. And using each single pixel to make an image allows us to fill in some of those areas that are perpetually cloudy and use those few good pixels that we have. It also reduces the time to make those Path Row images so we could put out a newer land cover product in a shorter time frame.
0: You have explained this to me in the past, the difference between a composite and a scene-based. You sort of compared it to, like, a digital camera looking at one picture versus a hundred and picking the best. Is that kind of the idea?
1: That's kind of the idea. Scene-based is like taking a picture of your family. Right. You take seven pictures and you have seven people in your family and each time somebody has their eyes closed in each picture. So you have to pick the best one. And there's always something wrong with one of those pictures. With the composite, it's like taking the best snapshot of each individual person in that family snapshot, putting them together into a single best picture.
0: If you translate that over to land cover mapping,
1: doing this gave you more to choose from
0: to fill in the gaps and you were able to pull this together much more quickly. That's true. So we're looking at a year and a half or so, two years between when the data was collected and when it appears as a land cover product.
1: Yeah, we're we're right at a year and a half now.
0: Well, how come you can't just do land cover product tomorrow from data you got today?
1: Well, a lot of things go into making a land cover product. We talked about succession and trajectory. But, you know, one of the other things is we need that time in between the last pixel and the first pixel for a time frame to kind of pull all those different things together in the imagery. It takes processing time, it takes knowledge, and it takes a lot of work, you know, just going through and making sure all the processes are working the way they should to get an accurate land cover map.
0: It's like $9 pixels nine billion plots 8.9 you know and and i I suspect that a plot of grassland and a plot of cropland looks very similar in just a typical landsat image there's a lot of the processing that's involved
1: it's very very evolved you know if you think of what a satellite sees wheat is a grass Wheat comes up in the spring, just like many grassland areas, just like many pasture areas. And if you only have one image, it's very hard to tell the difference between the two. If you have multiple images at different time frames, that really helps to differentiate those different class types because they senesce at different times. So wheat will be brown down. They'll brown down. So wheat will be brown midsummer, and a grassland will stay green earlier and later in the year.
0: Let's talk specifically about the wind energy layer. Why was this included? And what does it take to do something like that to add an extra layer to NLCD?
1: The wind energy layer was included because there has been a large growth in wind energy and it does have an impact on the landscape much the same way any other developed feature does. Wind energy has gone from when we published 2016 to being fairly minor. It's really doubled in the last three or four years. And people want to know where that's being developed. They want to know where wind turbines are, how many there are, and how that might have an effect on the landscape. Researchers can then combine that data with our other land cover types to find things that we may not think about.
0: That's kind of the value of having a national scale map is you can see these things in context, wind energy or oil pads in context and what's changing in and around them, right?
1: context is one of the most important things in geography and land cover. That ability to add different data layers to NLCD is really probably our biggest strength. We add many different data layers from our MRLC partners, things like NAS crop types, uh, land, fire, veg types. We use LC map imagery to start as the basis for NLCD 2019. We have many partners, including NOAA, the Forest Service, who all make their own products that we then integrate, take the best pieces of those and make our wall-to-wall land cover.
0: A wall-to-wall land cover that's complete and consistent, produced with the help of a lot of your friends, it sounds like.
1: Very talented friends, I might <laughs> add. <laughs>
0: well, yes, these are arrows people, a lot of these folks, so we can say they're very talented. And your collaborators with MRLC. But let's unpack what you're talking about there. You, you dropped a lot of acronyms. LC-MAP, that's Land Change, Monitoring, Assessment, and Projection. LC-MAP, that's a project at Eros. It is. And Land Fire, Landscape Fire Resource Management Planning Tools, I believe. That's also a Eros project.
1: Not, it's uh, partly at Eros. Partly at Eros. Again, yeah. yeah,
0: it's a partnership between several agencies, right? But the, the production, the mapping po- portion of it is at Eros. Right. So basically, you have all these teams producing different land cover maps, and you collaborate work together to produce the best versions of what you're making right talk to us about that what kinds of things do you learn from these other talented people
1: when you look at a land cover map from a distance they tend to look similar but when you dive into the classes and what they're mapping they're very different products landfire itself maps I believe, over 120 different vegetation types. They categorize structure of these, and we don't do that much. They're specialized to provide that for a reason. The same with, say, NAS; They have 100 different crop types. We only have two crop types. NAS uses us for their non-crop types. NOAA is an expert in wetland areas. The Forest Service, of course, as the name implies, knows a thing or two about forest. Each of these agencies has a specialized part that goes into our land cover and we combine all these specialized parts into a single harmonious land cover.
0: NLCD and LCMAP and Landfire, the aerospace projects that that you're working with, you're all putting out new data for 2019, this year, and for all of you that's a pretty quick turnaround. Would you guys have been able to do this had you not been working together?
1: Not as well and certainly probably not in the same time frame. I think both of those are true.
0: Which of the new features of NLCD 2019 will be the most useful to your users?
1: I think the most useful thing will be the completion of those impervious surface layers to match all of the land cover years. That really fills in and completes our database concept. We didn't have time the last publication for NLCD 2016 to do those, and that's something we really wanted to do for this time.
0: Why do you have impervious surfaces as a separate layer? Why is that important enough to map
1: if you think about soybeans, it's either soybeans or it's not soybeans, but developed, there can be a, a range of developed intensities, and that's what we're really mapping. There's a large difference between something that's 75% developed, which covers 75% of the landscape, and a 5% developed, which covers only 5%. That equates to a much larger amount of surface runoff, impact on the environment, a need for water management, all of those things come into play
0: you're kind of the only land cover product that does that nationwide, provides that level of detail on impervious surfaces. Is that right?
1: That's right. Okay.
0: Because like you talked about land fire, land fire has hundreds of vegetation classes, but they don't have this much detail within the boundaries of of an urban area. And LC map has data going back 30 years for every year, but there's just one developed class, right? Right. Okay. So you kind of fill in the gaps between the different products.
1: The impervious surface was a gap that we saw when we started NLCD 2001, and it really has become very widely used. That's our two specialties. Our first one is combining all of these other specialized land covers, and the second is our impervious surface.
0: Where do people find NLCD data? Where do they go? What kinds of tools are available for researchers and GIS professionals and
1: just the general public? All our data is freely available at mrlc.gov. We have a variety of tools for the very sophisticated users to folks who are completely unfamiliar with GIS. Folks can download our entire map in one piece. They can go into our viewer, pan through our land cover, and find the small piece that they want and downloaded. And then we also have a a newly published tool called the EVA tool, Enhanced Visualization and Analysis Tool. This was made for folks who just want to know what's happening in their local area. They just go in and click on their county, and you can find out what's changed from any year to any year, get a printout for that, and get some relevant information on what that means to the landscape.
0: The EVA tool is not really a mapping product. A lot of the stuff is a mapping interface, and you have to zoom in and find your area. But here, you can just type in your county, and it'll give you
1: charts. It will. We made this tool for folks who don't want to do GIS or just want a quick answer for a question and don't want to take the time to do the GIS themselves. Sure.
0: How do we know that that's accurate, those county figures? Because you have to translate, I suppose, from pixels to square miles. Or, it's in square miles? Is that what the changes
1: calculate? calculated? It is in square miles.
0: How accurate is NLCD, and how, how do people know that they can trust this when they go get this information? From
1: well, NLCD publishes an accuracy assessment with every release of our products. So for NLCD 2016, we just released our accuracy assessment for that, and we're around 93% accurate.
0: So about 93% accurate, and there's, there's documentation behind this. So if there's a question about how close it is, you can go back and check. check Absolutely. The okay. But you did say that, that that you're not perfect. I mean, how many of those nine billion pixels are completely off?
1: Well, uh, it would be seven percent. According to that, the interesting thing is, if you look back, we've increased accuracy every time we've published. And that's because we build on our previous products. So the increase in accuracy from our 2011 to our 2016 release, we classified an area of the state of California correctly. That's the improvement.
0: Well, that, that seems pretty good. Is it good? That's great. Okay, <laughs> just wanted to check. Any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave people with about NLCD or just land cover in general?
1: Land cover in general, whether people realize it or not, is in their everyday lives. When you pull up that map on your phone, that's derived land cover. It gets you from one point to another. And if you pan out just a little bit, you can see those developed areas in that Google map that you're using. That is something new. Ten years ago, people didn't really have that much exposure to maps, at least digital maps. And as more and more people get familiar with these, they're looking for knowledge. And NLCD is one of the places they come to understand a little bit more.
0: talking to John DeWitts about the National Land Cover Database. John, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. And thank you listeners for joining us. Be sure to drop in for the next episode of Eyes on Earth. You can find us on our website at usgs.gov Eros. That's usgs.gov slash E-R-O-S. Or you can find us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. All of our past episodes are there, including episode three on the National Land Cover Database. This podcast is a product of the U.S. Geological Survey Department of Interior.